So we've talked about times of refreshing. Uh, William last week talked about prayer, the times of refreshing that come from prayer, spending time, you know, talking with God, communicating with God. We, we began by talking about the, the times of refreshing that comes from his presence. There is refreshing in the presence of God, and we've, we've talked about that. We've talked about the, the refreshing that comes from being a part of God's people, to being in community. And we've talked about uh, praise, promise, prayer, people. And today we're going to talk about his promises. That it's the word of God refreshes us. The word of God for, the, for a believer, for a Christian, the word of God is literally our lifeline. It's the, it's the basis of our hope. I mean, it's the basis of our belief is that we have to stand on the truth of God's word. It becomes what holds us up. It becomes everything to us. So we're going to talk today about the refreshing power of the promises of God. I want you to think about this. Uh, maps are wonderful things. And uh, it's good to know where you're going. And you have to have some idea of where you're going if you want to know how to get there. Or it's where, where do you want to go? Where do you want to go in life? So before you can determine how you're going to get there, you have to determine where you want to go. Right? I mean, that's basic. Uh, We, you know, we went to Alaska, so we, you know, we began by going to Seattle. Then, you know, we got on a boat, and we had hope that they knew where they were going. You know, that they, they had maps. Then I, I got to do one of, the, one of my favorite things. I don't know why it's one of my favorite things, but I got to fly on a float plane about 40 years ago, and I've been wanting to do it again. But there's not a lot of places around here where we have float planes, uh, but in, in Alaska, that's like the taxi. There are float planes flying around like mosquitoes. They are everywhere. And the mosquitoes are about the same size as an airplane. And uh, uh, so we got to fly on a float plane, and you're just going out into the, I mean, wow. I mean, we're just, you know, you're just on that little narrow part of Alaska that comes down. And it's just, you just get a little ways. I mean, you get 15 miles off of the coast, and you're in... Maybe not that, maybe two miles off the coast. You're just in wilderness. And you think, man, hope this guy knows where he's going. I hope he knows how to get back. Because this is, I mean, we were, we were, I mean, and we weren't that far away, but it's just, you just feel like this is, I mean, there's nothing. There's no cars. There's no other people. The only other people we saw were other float planes. So it was incredible. Uh, so you have to, you know, it's good to, to know where you're going, but one of the critical things of getting to where you're going is you have to know where you are. I mean, if you don't know where you are, you don't know where you're starting from. So there's no way of even having an idea of where you're going. We, it's kind of like we need a dot in our life that says, like the map at the mall that says you are here. And we need that. We need that 
you're here. And that's why we talk about, we talk about people that are lost. If someone doesn't know Jesus, they're lost. Because they don't know where they are. They may have a sense, they may think they know where they're going, but they have no sense of where they're starting from. They're lost. And I've, I've been, have you been lost a couple of times? One of the things that I've learned, if you haven't learned this lesson yet, one of the lessons I learned, you know, in this modern age, and it probably makes me an old timer to do it, but one of the things that I've learned is that I always have a paper map. Because I have been in trouble, Siri has led me down the wrong way. I don't trust Siri. I think she's cheating on me. So what does the Word do? The Word of God is a map for us. Here's what, here's what Psalm 119 says. The Word of God, the Word is a lamp for my feet and a light to my path. The Word gives me guidance. It gives me insight. It gives me direction. It shows me where I am, and it lets me know where I'm going. It's a, a lamp to my feet, a light to my path. It lets me know where I am. The Word of God begins to work in our life. The Word of God is so powerful that none of us would be here today without the Word of God. The Word of God is that God has a story and he's told us what the story is. We wouldn't, you know, we'd just be on this blue ball in the middle of a uh, large universe ha without having any idea of how it started or why it was here. We'd just be in a marble in the infinity of space un until we understood that God, who spoke into existence, then tells us his story. He tells us and reveals himself to us. If he doesn't reveal himself to us, there's no way for us to know him. We can only make up stuff. We can only make up things that we think might be God. And usually the way we make gods is we make, make bigger versions of ourselves. But the word of God works in our life. So when you hear the word of God, it does something incredible. Romans 10, 17 You've heard this verse, I'm sure. Consequently, faith comes from hearing the message, and the message is heard through the word about Christ. The way you come to Christ, the way you receive Christ, is that you hear the message that Jesus came and died on the cross for your sins, and then he rose from the grave on the third day, and then he ascended to the Father. That's what we would call the gospel. Jesus came and died for your sins. He died in your place. Upon hearing that, when you hear that, having never heard it before, not knowing it, and someone tells you Jesus died for you, and it happens all over the world in a lot of different places. You know, one of the missionaries that we support is uh, Jay Newsom, and Jay goes into the, the bush of Kenya, and there's, just, there's still places where they've never heard the name of Jesus. And he will go into the bush of Kenya and he will tell them about Jesus, the Son of God, who came and died in their place. And on hearing that, the Word of God produces faith in their hearts, just like it produced faith in your heart for you to say yes to God. Lord, you can't say yes to God without faith. It's impossible to please God. You can't say yes to God without God giving you faith to say it.
because you wouldn't understand it. There's, you're not seeking after God. You wouldn't know God. So God reveals himself to us through his word. We hear the word and it produces faith in us. We respond to that and we come to faith in Jesus Christ. And then we find out that one of the things that the word of God wants to do in your life is that the word of God reveals and slays sin. In other words, God wants to help us deal with this problem of sin. Because when you've been a slave to something all of your life and been enslaved to something all of your life, we find that sometimes we have trouble just laying it down. We can. We've been enabled to. But we still sin. So one of the things that God uses the Word of God to do is to pull us out of sin towards him. How does he do this? Hebrews chapter 4. Now this is a lot of reading, so just stay with me. Don't get up and leave or anything. Just, you know, I'm coming back. Therefore, since the promise of entering his rest, talking about entering to God's rest, still stands, let us be careful that none of you be found to have fallen short of it. For we also have had the good news proclaimed to us just as they did, speaking about Israel in the wilderness, they had the good news proclaimed to them, but the message they heard was of no value to them because they did not share the faith of those who obeyed. And so they didn't, it wasn't mixed with faith. They heard it, but it wasn't mixed with faith. Now we who have believed enter into that rest, we rest in God, just as God has said, so I declared on oath in my anger, they shall never enter my rest. And yet, His works have been finished since the creation of the world. For somewhere he has spoken about the seventh day in these words. Aren't you glad? This is the writer of Hebrews. You ever think that way? I know it says it in the Bible somewhere. I can't remember the actual address, but I know it says it. And he says it. For somewhere he's spoken about the seventh day in these words. On the seventh day, God rested from all his works. And again, in the passage above, he says, they shall never enter my rest. So the children of Israel, because they were rebellious, they didn't accept the word of God. They didn't get to enter into the rest of the promise. They didn't get to go into the promised land because they didn't believe God. And so they were not able to enter into that rest. Therefore, since it still remains for some to enter that rest, and since those who formerly had the good news proclaimed to them did not go in because of their disobedience, God again set a certain day calling it today. This he did when a long time after he spoke through David, as in the passage already quoted today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. So then he's moving from Israel to us, to today. For if Joshua had given them rest, God would not have spoken later about another day. There remains then a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For anyone who enters God's rest also rests from their works, just as God did from his. So if we enter into the rest of God, we're resting from our works to save us. Just as God finished his creation and rested. Let us therefore make every effort to enter that rest, to rest in the complete work of Christ, so that no one will perish by following their example of disobedience. For the word of God is alive and active. Sharper than any double-edged sword, it penetrates even to the dividing 
soul and spirit, joints and marrow. The word of God is able to get into places that nothing else can get into. It's able to divide your soul. and I don't know how you would divide your soul and your spirit, but God knows how to divide your soul and your spirit. The, the joints and the marrow. He's, he's given an example how your bones are put together. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. Nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. Everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of him to whom we ha- must give an account. So he says, the word of God is like a double-edged sword. It lays everything bare, even the thoughts and intentions of the heart, which most of us don't, we don't know our own intentions most of the time. We might sometimes know our thoughts, but it's, it's difficult often to discern your own motive because a lot of times when we do something, we think we're doing it with the best possible motive, but we actually may be doing it not to do a good thing, but, but maybe to get attention for doing a good thing or to get recognition. So sometimes we, are de- we even deceive ourselves, right? Now, he says, so nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. Everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. So we have to give an account to God. So he's saying, it's laid bare. We've got to give an account. Now, I don't, how does this sound to you? So about, okay, going before God, we're going to go before God and everything's laid bare. Everything's out in the open. You can't hide anything from God. He knows what you're thinking. He knows what your motivation is. He knows, the, he knows your why. He knows all of that. And it's just laid bare before him, and we must give an account to him. That doesn't sound like fun, does it? That sounds like a trip to the principal's office. Or a lot of times people will come back to my office, and they've never been in the pastor's office, and they're, they're a little worried about it. <laughs> it's like, I've never, I've never been back here before. It's like, you know, the only time you're going to come back to the pastor's office is when you're in trouble. And thankfully, that's not true. But we feel that way. We feel that way. I, uh, uh, you, ever, you ever get in trouble when you didn't think you were going to get in trouble? So one of the things we did when we were in Skagway, we rented a Jeep so we could drive up into, on the Klondike Highway. And we could drive into the interior. You know, we just had a day. It wasn't like we were going, you know, a thousand miles. I think we went like 60. But into the interior and cross the Canadian border. So there's nothing on the highway but scenery. And it's some great scenery. There's, there's a 10-mile lake, and we, so we, we drove through the American border checkpoint, which was eight miles before the actual border, because the actual border is on the top of a mountain, and so the top of the mountain is often icy, and it was fogged in the day we went, totally fogged in. And then the Canadian border is on the other side, about eight miles. And, uh, and so we're, we're driving up through there, you know, and, it's, uh, and we, there's a couple of pull-offs where you can take pictures and stuff, and we get, we're approaching the Canadian border, and as we're right to the Canadian 
we're past the border, actually. We're to the checkpoint, the border control. And about 100 yards before border control, there's a red building that is the train depot. And it's, all, it's mostly a restroom. Okay? So as we're approaching the, that border, I pull off and go to the restroom. And we will pull, you know, we just pull, then we just pull up to the border and the agent comes out and he says, why did you go over there and not come here first? He says, why did you go to that building? Uh, I, I needed to pee. Uh, well, you, you knew, you knew. I was like, well, I, really, I didn't know. I, I mean, the border was eight miles back. It didn't seem like y'all were in a real big hurry, you know, for me to get here. Uh, you know, I didn't know. I, but I was, I was surprised that I was in trouble because I wasn't trying to get in trouble. I was just needed to pee. Sometimes we feel like that, though. We feel caught, and we don't feel like... I, I, we feel caught in it, and we don't know how to get out of it. So how can we slay the sin nature? How, how can we, by the Word of God, slay the sin nature? Well, the sin nature is slayed by belief more than behavior. If you want to stop sinning, you have to believe the right thing before you can do the right thing. Let me try to give you an example of that. See, as a believer, that's why we call ourselves believers. Because we believe something. We're resting, we're believing that Jesus accomplished something for us on the cross that we could not accomplish for ourselves. We believe that his resurrection provided a way that we cannot provide for ourselves. We believe in what we would call the finished work of Christ on the cross. So when you believe on Jesus, you receive his righteousness and you can't add to that. Even if you're really, really good, it's not going to add to the righteousness of Christ. That's good to be good. There's nothing wrong with being good. I would encourage you to be good. But I would encourage you, you have to understand, how do you slay sin? So how do you use the Word of God to slay sin? You use the Word of God to slay sin by what you believe. Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has ascended into heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet he did not sin. Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence. So we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in a time of need. It's almost like he's, he's, he's walked us into a box and says, okay, everything in your life is laid bare before God. You're naked before God. Every sin, every failure, every mistake, he knows it all. He's seen it all. He says, but you have a high priest 
And he's a faithful high priest because he understands every sin you struggle with because he was tempted, but he didn't fail like you do. He was tempted in every sin like you and I are, but he didn't fail, so he becomes our faithful high priest. So as a priest, he stands between us and God and says, I understand what they're going through, and he gives us what we can get on our own. He gives us his righteousness so that we can stand before God, not in our righteousness, not in our perfect good works, not because we did everything right, not because we didn't pee before we got to the border. But, but in his works, because it was totally different coming back into the U.S. Because when I came back into the U.S., I handed them a passport. And they said, you belong here. This is your home. I had evidence of it. That's what Jesus declares to the Father. These are mine. These are sons. These are heirs. See, how do we slay sin? By knowing who we are. By believing who we are. We have access to the Father. Then he talks about, okay, we, we, we have this faithful high priest, and because we have this faithful high priest, we can come boldly before the throne of grace. Is that? Oh, I'm sorry. I was a. I thought it was a bird. For a second, dude, dude, dude. We can come boldly before the throne of grace. We can come into His presence. We can come before the throne. We have we have access to God the Father through the work of Jesus Christ. So we can slay sin not because of our behavior. Our behavior changes because of our belief. We're not trying to align our belief with our behavior. Our behavior changes because our belief. We have access. We can boldly come to the throne of grace. So he said, listen, he knows everything about you. You know what the temptation is? To run in shame from him. But he says, don't. Don't run from him. He's the faithful high priest who understands what you're going through. Run to him. You don't run, oh, oh, I've messed up my life. It's like, it's like running to your father and saying, look, I broke it again. Can you fix it? Can you fix it? I broke it again. We run to him and say, God, oh, I messed up again. And he doesn't look down and say, again? He says, come here. Come here. It's the throne of grace. It's not the throne of judgment. Because in Christ, we've escaped the throne of judgment. And we get to go to the throne of grace. So how does this help us slay sin? You don't fight sin by fighting against sin. You slay sin by fighting unbelief and delighting in Jesus. The only effective way to overcome sin is to delight in Christ more than we delight in sin. The thou shalt nots have never had any power to change us. 
They just condemn us. But they don't give us power to change. But if we delight in Jesus above all else, it has the ability in Christ to rearrange our family inclination. It has the ability to rearrange our own natural tendencies. Got any natural tendencies that don't align with Christ? That's why we call them natural tendencies. They're not supernatural tendencies. Yeah. It has the ability to to help us reveal and see our cultural accommodations where we have bought into the world system. Tony Reinke says this, sin is not merely wrongdoing, it is wrong adoring. John Piper said, sexual sin is a symptom, not the disease. People give way to sexual sin, and you can put in, it doesn't have to be sexual sin, you can put anything in there. Because they don't have fullness of joy and gladness in Christ. The command to be sexually pure is the same in the Old Testament and the New Testament. Exodus 20, verse 14. You shall not commit adultery. Pretty clear, right? Here's what Paul says in 1 Corinthians. Flee from sexual immorality. All other sins... All of the sins a person commits are outside the body, but whoever sins sexually sins against his own body. Do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? You're not your own. You were bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your bodies. What's the difference? The difference is who we are. He says on one hand, hey, don't commit adultery. New Testament says, Don't commit adultery because you are a child of God. Don't commit adultery because you have been purchased. You have been adopted into the family. You have value. You have purpose. You have been chosen. You are mine. Do it because you're mine. Do it because a price has been paid. Do it because you've been set free from slavery. Do it because you've been redeemed. Do it because of what's been accomplished on your behalf. You're not just going, I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to do it. It's trusting in the work of Christ. The power to do the right thing is about believing the right thing. If you want to change your behavior, you always have to change your beliefs. Believe the right thing, it's much easier to do the right thing. So this is what Paul prays for the Ephesians. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened. This is a weird thing about that. He doesn't say, I'm praying that you'll get smarter. Because he doesn't say, I pray your head will get this. The eyes of your heart? He said, I'm praying that that beyond your head knowledge, that somewhere in, in your spirit, in your soul, that you'll understand this about God. He said, I'm wanting you to get this. He said, I'm wanting you to get this down deep inside of you. I don't want it to just be something you know. There's a lot of times that we know stuff, but we don't believe it. You ever, you ever practice anything that you, you know it, but you know it, but you don't 
Believe it. Because if you believe it, you do it. How many of you know you should exercise? How many of you believe it? <laughs> See, there's always, in other words, what we know and believe, there's a gap between what we know and believe. So Paul is praying for the feast. He said, I don't want you to just know more stuff. Sometimes, sometimes we make church about knowing more stuff. I, oh, look, I'm going to go and learn more stuff. It, it's, it's good to know stuff, but you need to know it, not just in your head. You need to believe it. You need to be committed to it. It needs to have value to you. So Paul says, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope of which you've been called. The riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people and his incomparably great power for us who believe. When we don't know who we are, we don't act like who we are. When we don't know that we're the valued, treasured sons of God, then we don't act like the valued, treasured sons of God. We have to know who we are in Christ because out of that knowledge comes the ability to not only stand against sin but slay sin because we see in it the death that is there. We're not deceived by it because we believe the right thing. Sort of the word is one of the tools that God wants us to use as an offensive tool, not, not offensive in a bad way, but uh, to be on the offense. How about that? I should have said that better. One week of vacation, I just lose it. Uh, put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground. And after you've done everything to stand, stand firm. Then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in place, and I'm going to have to go to the next one, and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace, in addition to all this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. So you go through all of that, the shield of faith, the breastplate of righteousness, your feet shod the preparation of the gospel of peace. Those are all defensive pieces of armor. In other words, what you believe, your shield of faith, breastplate of righteousness, the sword of the Spirit is the tool that you use to come against the attacks of the enemy. How are you going to come against the attacks of the enemy? By what you believe. When Jesus was tempted in the wilderness by Satan, what did he say? He said, it's written. It's written. It's written. Hey, it's written. Man shall not live by bread alone. It's written. Thou shalt not tempt the Lord your God. It's written. You see, that's, that's our, if we want to stand against the attacks of the enemy, it's good for us to know what we believe. It's, it's, it gives us authority. What's my authority? My authority is this is what God says. So when the enemy tempts us, our declaration is, we say, I don't do that. I'm a child of the king. That's not my heritage. That's not my family. That's not my people. That's not what I've been called to. I've been called, I've been called into a different family. 
I'm no longer a slave to this. You, have, don't, you don't have any control over me anymore. I'm not enslaved. I'm a child of God. I'm a, I have the inheritance of the righteousness of God in Christ. So I can come against it. The attacks of the enemy. Then the word of God is our, the basis, I think this is important, of how we encourage one another. We talked about this when we were talking about worship, and worship is warfare. And when we speak the word of God to each other in worship, when we pray, when we sing these songs, when we sing songs that are based on the word of God, then it encourages us together in God. And we, we through the word of God, can encourage each other. Colossians 3.16, let the word of Christ richly dwell within you. Have a rich supply of the word of Christ inside you. With all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with thanksgiveness, thankfulness in your hearts to the Lord. You know, sometimes we Christians live like spiritually homeless people. You ever notice homeless people? It's a bad, it's a bad state to be homeless. A lot of people who are homeless are homeless because of mental, mental illness. They can't, they would work if they could, but they can't consistently work. A lot of people that are homeless are homeless because of addictions. But you'll notice if you drive by street corners or there'll be a homeless person on the street. There were homeless people in Seattle. There's homeless people in Dallas, Texas. Uh, they're, they're all over the place. What most homeless people want, sometimes they'll be honest. You know, somebody will say, you know, I, I need some food. Uh, you know, they'll say, you know, I, I need some beer. Uh, you know, sometimes they feel like honesty is the best policy, so they just lay it out there, you know. I need some beer. Uh, I need some booze. But mainly what a homeless person is doing, he's trying to subsist and survive for the moment. He may need some booze to get by, or he may need some pills to get by, but he's trying, he's, or food, he may actually surrender to the fact that he actually may need some food also. Uh, but his goal is the moment. And sometimes, sometimes we as Christians live too close to the bone. In other words, we just got enough for us. I'm just hanging on here. God doesn't want you just hanging on. He's called you beyond that. He's called you beyond just barely having enough to get by on your own. He actually wants it to richly dwell within you. He wants the word of God to be overflowing out of you. He wants the word of God to be like a well coming up out of you so that you have something to give, that you're a blessing. Isn't it great that as you walk by a homeless person, you, you can bless them? You have something to give. Because you're not homeless. You're not jobless. You're blessed. So out of your abundance, you can help someone that's, that's in need. And you think, well, does that perpetuate their problem? Probably. But it also meets a need. See, so one of the things that God wants you to do with the Word of God is that He wants you to, to know the Word of God in such a way that it becomes a well in your life. Springing up. So that you have the ability to have, because the Lord's blessing you. It's not that you have to say to somebody, you know what the Bible says, this and this and this and this. 
but that the Word of God is so affecting you that you have joy to give away. And you have love to give away. And in the midst of chaos, you have peace. Now what will happen if that is dwelling up within you and living in you, people will say, what's up with you? What, what have you got that I don't have? You don't have I'm, I'm not talking about using the Word of God to go around preaching to people. Well, you need to stop this and you ought to quit that. I'm talking about using the Word of God in such a way that it becomes in you a well. Not in you a judgment. But in you a well so that the character and grace of Christ, the, the, the attitude and the nature of Christ is what flows out of us. That the Word of God so affects us that it changes us. And we begin to look like Jesus to the world. That's what we need. We need the Word of God to change us. We need the eyes of our understanding to be enlightened. We need to see what Jesus sees. We need our hearts to see better than our heads see. So that we can see things the way Jesus sees them. And we can see people the way Jesus sees them. And we see ourselves the way Jesus sees us. You see, a lot of times our problem is, a lot of the problems that we have, a lot of problems we have in life is because we don't know who we are. We don't understand who we are. We don't understand that we've been called into the family. We don't, we don't understand that we belong. We, we're a child of God, that we've, we belong to the king. <laughs> we're king's kids. We don't understand the, the great price that was paid, and so we're not delighting in it. If we delight in it, we joy in it, we rejoice in it, we value it, we treasure it, so that we joy in Christ more than we joy in sin. And when we do, sin has no pull. Amen. Amen. Let's stand. Thank you. Lord, help us slay sin. Let the word dwell in us in such a way that our delight is in you. I've spent far too much of my life looking at myself instead of looking at you. I've spent far too much time worrying about me instead of delighting in you. Lord, help us to see the treasure that we have, the inheritance that we have, the calling that we have in you. In Jesus' name, amen.